Well, good morning, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the lead pastor here at Beach Point Fountain Valley, and I'd love to meet you after the service. We, we were working on this service and, and the details, we, and we came up with a question we wanted to begin with uh, for you, and, and let me ask you to think about this. Has God ever invited you to something that you felt you were powerless to achieve? Has he ever invited you to something and you thought, I don't think I can do that? I don't think I have the ability, the power to do that. Or you saw way too many barriers standing in the way of you actually being able to do the very thing that God had asked you. I, I can think back 30 years ago uh, was my first opportunity to be on staff here at the church. I was invited to be an intern for our, our church. I was 16 in the, in the high school ministry, and they asked me to be a, a junior high ministry intern. And I was really excited by it. I, I, I assumed that they saw some promise in me, or they were desperate. I don't know which it was, but they invited me. I was excited until they... In, we started working on the projects. And once we got invited to do the different projects, I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. I cannot do this. I felt very inferior to everyone else who was on the intern team. And so I called up the guy who was, uh, one of the guys who was in charge, and I said, I, I, I quit. I can't do this. I'm not good at it. So he came over to my house, and we sat in the driveway, and we, we talked, and he, he kind of pulled me back from the ledge and said, you know, it's not going to be you. It's going to be God working in you and God working through you. It's not about you. It's about how God's going to do this, and God's going to work through you. And it was a very interesting conversation. I stayed on the intern team, and, and that was my first experience of starting uh, in, in ministry, in, in full-time ministry, was to start as this intern. And it was interesting, as we were working on this question, I was thinking and I was reflecting earlier in the week, and that same guy yesterday called me. And he called me because his dad had passed away, and he needed a pastor, and he said, I just need someone to talk through this with and pray through this with. And I thought how interesting it was. Here we were 30 years later. The guy who helped me get into ministry when he needed a pastor, that, that little scared guy, this was the guy he, he turned to and, and how uniquely God had worked in that time. And I, I, I know a lot of you feel this. Like you, you come to me and you say, uh, you know, I've, I've been asked to share my testimony at Celebrate Recovery or uh, I, they want me to be a, a, a junior high leader. And I don't know if they're going to listen to me. And I don't know if they're going to like me. I don't know if they're going to eat me. I, I, I really, and that's a fair question, right, Gary? I mean, that's a fair question you can ask. And I don't know if I have the, the ability, I have the power to do this. Or maybe it's just that God has a breakthrough for you. He's, he's inviting you uh, to something or through something you've been struggling with. And as much as you want that breakthrough, you just feel like, I just don't have the power to do it. And the answer that I, I hope to give you when those conversations come is, is captured in our big idea today. Our, our big idea is, is our sermon in a sentence. I, I would invite you to write it down. But this is what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, and the thing that I try to help people see is this, is that there's no limit to what God does through spirit-filled people. There's no limit to what God does through spirit-filled people. See, Jesus promised that when the Spirit came, you would receive power. We would receive power in our lives. And today we want to think about the unique way in which as God comes into our lives, as we receive that power in our lives, how, how he, he, he enables us, he gives us power to do the things he's inviting us to or to, to break through the things he wants us to break through. 
And so I want you to think through this with us today. And we're, we're going to read uh, from the book of Acts chapter 2. I want to invite you to turn there, page 1091 in the Bible's in front of you. And we're going we're gonna to look at the very first sermon ever preached uh, for, the, for the church. Now, what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been talking through this series called Hope Arising, how, how really the story of Jesus doesn't end with the resurrection, but upon the resurrection, Jesus had told his disciples that they would be witnesses of this. Now, they were to wait. They were to wait for the, the, the Spirit to come on them. And when the Spirit came, they would receive power, and then they would have the power and the ability to go and be his witnesses. And so what we've looked at these last couple of weeks as we followed up from Easter is uh, the, the unique way in which the disciples have been prepared for this or waiting for this. But now we're going to see this moment comes. Now, it's, it's a rather long uh, section of scripture. And I'll give you the same advice that uh, uh, the, the guys uh, who helped me through my, my doctoral thesis uh, helped me. They said, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Okay, so don't panic. It's a lot, we're, but we're going to eat the elephant one bite at a time. Here we go. Acts 2, 1 to 13, we're going to start with. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now let's stop there for a second. Remember, they've been waiting for the Spirit to come, and the Spirit now comes as promised. And the best way that they can describe it, as Luke describes the experience, is it was like a rushing wind that came through. It was as if it broke into tongues of fire sitting over each of their heads. And it's an interesting experience what happens. See, uh, there, there are three kinds of churches. There are hands at your sides, two hands at your sides churches. There are two hands in the air churches. And there's one hand in the air churches. I, I grew up in this church, a, a Baptist church that was kind of traditional, I guess I would say, in most parts. And, and, and the, we, we're two hands at the side church. And the only way we kind of got excited was we would undo the top button, maybe loosen the tie a little bit. I mean, that was like, we, oh, it's getting crazy in here. Okay, loosen the tie a little. Here we go. Okay. My, uh, my, Pastor Ken, who leads our Huntington Beach campus, he worked in a church in Hawaii. And he's like, Bill, my church was a it was two hands in the air, church. I mean, people before the service start were out in the lobby and they're like stretching, they're getting ready, like getting loose because they were like, we're going, this is going to get good in here. I would say Beach Point right now is kind of like a one-hand church in the, in the air, right? We kind of still got our hand on the safety rail because we're, we're a little afraid of where it might go, but we're still holding on for safety. But notice who these guys are. These are guys that were locked away, hiding, afraid for their very lives, 
They've gone from that to two hands in the sky, jumping in the air. They're so excited that everyone around them is going, what is going on with these guys? They must be drunk. But it's not that. Notice what they say. This is the Holy Spirit at work in us. And what is the Holy Spirit trying to do? The Holy Spirit primarily is trying to empower his people to join them in in God's mission so that people could be introduced to Jesus Christ. But there are barriers. There's barriers that have to be overcome, and we start to see these barriers. The first is a a location barrier. Notice the unique way in which thousands of of, of God-fearing people have flooded into Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. Now, uh, the the Feast of Pentecost came uh, 50 days after Passover. It was a chance to remember uh, the goodness of God, the harvest. They brought their first fruit offering, this offering of of remembering how much God had had provided. Uh, So they were celebrating this this great feast. So all people had come from all over uh, the known area to come and to worship God. And, And in the same way that that. Uh, the, the Passover celebrated the, the, the unique work of God, uh, his salvation, uh, as he brought them out of slavery. And they remember that, and they would celebrate that. Fifty days after that time, they had, the people of God had come to Mount Sinai, and God had begun to speak to them, and the, and the law came to them. But isn't it interesting the unique way in which God is now, through the Holy Spirit, saying no longer, uh, the, the law now will be written on your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this unique way in which God is strategically using this moment to bring the world to this very place. And this is, this is interesting to me because what we begin to understand is location is never a barrier. And what we begin to find is the unique way. This is why we want you always to pay attention to the people that God places around you. You don't really always know exactly what kind of influence you will have on them and what kind of influence that will have on the world. These people were going to hear the message. They were going to respond to it. And then they were going to go back all over the world. Remember, Jesus had said, you're going to be my witnesses all over the world to the ends of the earth. I'm sure they're thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get to all these places in, in, in all this time? And yet God strategically uses this moment to begin that movement. I had a class at, at Talbot Seminary, and I uh, had 15 students in my class. And as I, I asked them to introduce themselves, tell, tell me who you are and why you're in seminary and what's going on with it. And it was very interesting to listen as, as the 15 students began to share seven different countries represented. And even those that were staying in the United States, they were all across the United States and all different kind of cultural settings. And I got to the end of, of hearing all of them, and my heart was racing because I realized it was just this place of great humility. Like, God, you're going to use what I thought was going to be a very simple seminary class. You're literally going to use this all over the world. See, God uses people just like us, Fountain Valley people, to change the world. Location is not a problem for him. In fact, we have folks in our church. We have one family that just came back. They grew up in Fountain Valley. They fell in love in Fountain Valley, but they went to this little island in Vanuatu. They translated the New Testament for these people in their heart language. They helped them establish and build a church. And as it all got done, they they came home, and now they're preparing uh, others to do the same kinds of things. We have another couple met in our church. They fell in love in our church college students. And, uh, and, and now they're serving, they're helping bring uh, the scriptures to a, a people group in Niger. Uh, that, that Where there were previously no Christians, there's now about 100 Christians in a very hostile part of the world. People from Fountain Valley are part of that team that helped make this happen. Uh, the, what we begin to see in this is that we can't, we can't see location as any kind of barrier. In the next year, 
you're going to hear stories about six more people from this congregation who are going out all over the world because God is calling them. Location is not a barrier. We need to pay attention to the people both God has called into our lives in the unique way that God sends us back in to the world, the way that we are called to change the world. Location is not a barrier, neither is language. Look at the unique way that there are 15 different nations represented, maybe even more different languages that are being spoken. I don't know if you've ever spoken through a translator before. I've, I've had a chance to preach in uh, places all over the world. It's very interesting when you start to speak with a translator. And I realize sometimes I get kind of sloppy because I'll, I'll say things that make sense to Southern California. And my translator will look at me with kind of a bewildered look like, what? I don't know how to say that here. And it, that's not what happened here, is it? It wasn't they were speaking and someone was translating. It was that the Holy Spirit had given them this unique ability to speak languages they didn't know. Everyone is saying, we're hearing, our, we're hearing this message in our own language, our own heart language. And what's happening here, what we understand, this, the, so this gift of tongues we see in this passage means non-Greek language. So uh, uh, Greek was kind of like English is today. Greek would have been like the trade language, it had been the common language that most of the world could at least been familiar with. But when he speaks of speaking in different tongues, what they were actually speaking, well, not some sort of gibberish or anything like that, but they were actually speaking the languages. Look into what they say. We're hearing the, the very message in our own language. The Holy Spirit was giving them power. Now, 1 Corinthians tells us that there are, are different, this, this gift is, is expressed in different ways. That, that it's a, a gift that gets used in the church through an interpretation, that there's this heavenly prayer language. But this is so unique. Because here are these people speaking a language they didn't know. It's, it, but, but of course, because language isn't a barrier for God. It's not a barrier for the Holy Spirit. You've probably experienced this in some ways that you hear sometimes the message of God in ways that you weren't really expecting or anticipating. It's in a song or a message. It's in, a, it's in an idea or something a friend says. Sometimes it's a very loud message. And God has got your attention. Other times it's kind of almost like a gentle whisper and God just kind of whispers something in your ear through one way or another. But language has never been a barrier for the Holy Spirit. And neither is diversity. Diversity is not a barrier either. Now on this day, Peter preached the very first sermon. And this first sermon is very important. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, it says that he stood up with the eleven, raised his voice to the crowd... Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken to you by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And Peter cites the, the prophecy that they had learned in Joel. They'd been looking forward to this day. There would be this day they'd learned the scriptures. There'd be this day, Joel had prophesied, when the Spirit of God is poured out. And that would be the sign that, the, that we are in those last days. And in those last days, whether it was male or female, age didn't matter, uh, race, gender, nothing would matter that, that all of us would be one in Christ Jesus. All of us. But that the, the power would fall on, on, on all of us. One of the unique things about the, the, the church is this. From the very beginning, it stood apart as the first real organization that was inclusive, that called in uh, uh, genders and races and classes. It was respecting women, caring for the poor, valuing young children. One pastor in India recently said this. He said, most of what happens in Christian churches, even miracles can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. He said, but in my area, only Christians strive uh, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. And that is the real miracle. Completely inclusive. Maybe some of you have, I'm sure most of you probably have done this, right? How many of you have done the wave before, right? 1981, A's versus Yankees, and there's a, there's a guy there named, in the Oakland Coliseum named Crazy George. He walks around the stadium, he's got a drum, he beats it, and he had a vision of, if I could just get these guys to kind of stand, he had this vision, stand in this way, in this unison, and, and so he did. He starts with one section, rallying them up, and he goes to the next section, and, and, and eventually, you've experienced this right at a game, where it just kind of starts and builds. One of the greatest things about the wave, one of the most interesting things about the wave is how inclusive it is. Young, old, Rich, poor, fan of this team, fan of this team. We all get kind of caught up in it, don't we? It's just been this very inclusive thing. And and the Holy Spirit began doing the wave, really, uh, 2,000 years ago. Very inclusive, calling all of us in. And what's so wonderful about this prophecy of Joel in these days is this. You have no excuse to not let God do work in you or through you. So you can't say, I'm too old. You can't say that. You can't say, well, I used to do these great things for God, but now I've gotten older and it's just, you know, it's time for my retirement. I love, I love what I keep hearing in our church is, is this phrase, I'm not retired, I'm, I'm being repurposed. I, I think that should be your, your mindset. Not that I'm going to travel around and just live in an RV and play golf all day, but now God has freed me up to do even, even greater things for them. And of course they should believe that. Moses... Abraham, Sarah, Noah, all of these people who received callings well after 80 years old, 80 years older or older. You cannot say, I am too old for the Spirit of God to change the world through me. You cannot say that. You cannot say, I'm too young. You can't say, someday I'll grow up and I'll change the world. That's not the case. It certainly isn't the case here, and it's certainly not the case of this, this city there are young people in this city, young Christian people. All, we, keep, we see stories, we hear stories all the time of the, of the young people of this city who are doing dynamic and dramatic things to honor Christ, to serve him, not in their own strength or power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And why shouldn't they? David did it. Mary did it. They never saw themselves as being too young. They simply knew if it wasn't up to me, if it was up to God and God working through me, then so be it. You can't say, I can't do that because I'm a woman. 
You know, I'll be, I'll be one of the pips for Bill. You know, I'll stand in the background and I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll just be the background person. You can't say because I'm only a woman because notice what the scripture says, men and women, your sons and daughters. And this is the case. We see it all the time here in the church. We see these amazing women who are serving Christ, doing amazing things. I just want to protect you women from somehow thinking that your job is going to be only in backup roles. Maybe the Lord will call you to that, but same, he might say the same thing to us men. But the moment you begin to think that the calling of the Spirit falling on you and you doing amazing things for the Lord, that somehow that, that's not for you because you're not a man, is, it, it, that's just not here. You cannot see, we see the Holy Spirit breaks down barriers. And Galatians tells us this, that no matter what race or class or gender you are, we are all one in Christ Jesus. That the Spirit, Joel says, the Spirit will fall on all of us as we allow him. But the last barrier is perhaps the most significant for all of us. And it's the, it's the barrier is the sin barrier. And Peter continues to preach, and he shares some very important things. Notice verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. He's saying, you saw it or you heard about it. You know it to be true. God did amazing things through Jesus. He accredited him. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, a couple of uh, uh, really important things that Peter reveals about the cross. The first thing he reveals is that you and I put him there. Notice what he says. He says, you and I, he says, you played a part in this. Now you have to think of this. There's many people who would have been there and said, look, I was in Rome. How could I have played a part in this? But notice what Peter's doing. He's being inclusive. It is our wickedness that put him there. All of us put him there. Romans 3 says this, that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. In his movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson only appears as an actor in one scene. And the scene is interesting because it's, it's very symbolic and it, and it draws all of us into that moment. He, the only scene you ever see Mel Gibson in is he is the one holding the nail that's about to be hammered into Jesus. And as he holds that nail, it, it really is symbolic that I'm holding that nail. That you are holding that nail. That we place that nail. It is our wickedness that put him there. It is our wickedness that made him have to have the, the wrath of God poured on him. And Peter does make sure that everyone understands what it is that led Christ to the cross. Christ was not forced. He laid down his life. But as he laid down his life, he did that for us. He did this in a way, it was you and I who, who nailed that, that nail in. We are the ones responsible. But notice he, he, he expands the idea that God did this for us. Look again at verse 23. Notice what he says. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. He says this, though, was God's plan from the very beginning of time. This has always been God's plan. Some of you have heard a story about a, a father and son. The father operated a, a drawbridge. 
As the boats went by, he'd pull a lever. The, the drawbridge would open up. The boats would pass by. As the train came by, he would, he would again, pull the, the lever. And as the, the track came together, the train could safely pass by. And this drawbridge operator had, had a son, his one and only son, in, in whom he, he just deeply, deeply loved. They had this incredible relationship. And so the son begged his dad one day to go to work with him. And the, and the father said, he relented, he, he brought him, and they spent the day, he showed him how the, uh, the, the lever worked and how the bridge would open and close. And they spent the day together laughing and enjoying each other's company. And as the day progressed, there came this moment in which the, the whistle, he could hear the whistle in the distance, the siren was going on, it was time to pull the lever to close the bridge, a train was approaching. And right as he went to pull the lever, he realized his, he, he couldn't find his son. And so he looked and he looked and to his horror, he discovered his son climbing in the gears of the drawbridge. And so he began to call out to his son to rescue him. And his son couldn't hear him. He continued to climb. He realized there was no time to run and to save his son and pull the lever at the same time. And so he had a choice to make. Do I run and and save my son at the expense of all those passengers? Or do I sacrifice my one and only son? To save those passengers. And with horror and with tears in his eyes, he pulled the lever. And as his son's body was crushed, the drawbridge closed, the passengers passed by, many of whom had no idea at what cost their safety, their salvation was made possible. Now the story has been used time and time again to help explain the gospel, and there's many parts to it that, that are very helpful, but there's, there's one very important flaw to the story. See, the cross was never God's panic move. Heaven didn't panic at the cross. This was always what Peter says. This has always been God's plan from the very beginning. That, that as great as our wickedness would grow, his love would go even beyond that. And from the very beginning, God loved you so much that he was willing to give his one and only son, that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, the King of all, from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world, had decided to give his life for you. See, God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3 goes on this way. It says, Not only that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but that we are all justified freely by his grace and and through the the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, one pastor says it this way. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at this very same time, We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So Peter helps them understand the the gravity, the power of the cross, but then he helps them understand that it all did not end at the cross. That the cross began to destroy this barrier, but notice that the story doesn't end with Jesus simply dying on the cross. Verse 24, he says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because he was, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he begins to explain to him, he, he reminds them of prophecies David had spoken, uh, words that they knew from the Psalms that there would be one 
There would be one who would come, a, a descendant, a king, a, a, that, that would defy death and defy decay. And when that king came, when that one came, he would be the one. He would be the true king. Look at verse 29. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And then here comes the kicker. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are witnesses of it exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He says, David predicted this. But notice, David was not referring to himself. We could go to David's grave. We could see his bones. We know that it wasn't about David. But the one who would defy death, that one would be the king. But notice what he says, not only the king of Israel, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we have seen him. We are witnesses. We have seen it. It is Jesus, this one who you killed. He's the one. He's the one that David spoke of. He's the one that that was prophesied about. We are witnesses. And we have seen him ascend to the right hand of God. And now you see it for yourselves because you're seeing the promised Holy Spirit poured out in this day. And when the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? What shall we do? Imagine being in that crowd. You would probably feel the same thing. So what do I do in response to this? And Peter says in verse 38, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for you and your children and for all who are far off. All whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter shares, God has offered us salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's, it's almost like a formula he gives. Repentance and baptism lead to forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized. He means, he's saying this, that repent. Repentance means to turn the way you were going, to turn yourself and turn back to God. Repentance means turn your life back to God and believe, believe, confess your belief, be baptism, be baptized. In baptism, we confess our belief publicly. It's not just an inner thing, but it's a, it's a public thing in which we make known, I believe this. And he says, when you do this, you will Be forgiven of your sins. Your sins will be washed away. And you will receive God's Holy Spirit. You will be filled with God's Holy Spirit. 
I love what Romans 8 says. It says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. He says, repent, be baptized, turn your direction and and, and give yourself to Jesus. Jesus, his message was simple. He would say this, follow me, follow me. How can you follow him unless you give up your way? You can't. And how else can you follow him unless you trust that where he's leading you leads to life? And Peter's grabbed that message. He says, once again, look, follow Jesus. Turn from your, give up your old way. Give up the way you were going. Trust him, go with him. Be baptized, confess that this is your new life. And if you give your life, you come to him in faith, he will, he will wipe away your sins. You will, when that great day comes, that will not be a day of fear. You will never worry about standing before God because you will be, your sins will be forgiven. You'll be made right before God. And here, now, your life will be filled with his Holy Spirit. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead will live in you. And the people responded. 3,000 from all over the world repented, confessed their belief, were baptized, and they received forgiveness. They received the Holy Spirit. And who could imagine? Who could imagine such an amazing day could take place and such barriers could be overcome? Well, God could. Because these are not barriers to God. None of these are barriers to God. And so I wonder if there's anyone here today who needs their life to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today you need to hear Peter's words that today is your day to repent, to believe, to follow Jesus, which means to abandon your way and to trust him and go with him. And to believe that the way he's taken you, that, that he is the Savior, he is the King, he is the Lord, and he needs to lead your life from this point on. That today you would decide to follow Jesus with your life. Because if you'll decide to follow him, if you'll come to him in faith, he will wash away your sin, and he will fill your life with his spirit. Some of you have decided to do that. This is your life. And yet you still feel these barriers. You feel this, maybe God's trying to lead you in some way. And maybe in some way you just need to be reminded, you need to, to, to confess. In just a moment we'll have a, a time of prayer. Maybe the best thing you could do today is just to confess and be as open as Matt shared earlier. This is a safe place. You're loved, you're accepted. The cross reveals that. So can you say even today, Lord, I know you're trying to work this in my life and I know I'm holding on to these things. Confess those things. Ask for the strength of his spirit to give you wisdom and courage and and strength to pursue what he has for you. And others of you, maybe there's a sense of calling in your life or an invitation to serve or to, uh, to, to honor him in some way and you've resisted up to this point. Pray. Pray that God would fill you with his spirit, that in some way you'd realize, uh, confess to him, I understand this is not going to be about me. It's not going to be about my power. It'll be about your power working in me, working through me. And so let me invite you to bow together. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. And whatever it is, and particularly today, if today is your day to say, Lord, today I repent, I I believe, then confess this in the quiet of this moment. We have just like a, a minute of silence. 
it's a barrier you're trying to work through, if it's a calling you're trying to work through, just confess, I, I see it, I know that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Help me trust you. Take a moment to pray and then we'll sing.